Hello everyone, welcome to A Reason for Hope once again. A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided by your questions on the Bible. You can send them in to us if you have questions on the Bible. It might be a verse or passage of scripture that, that you've read, come across, and it doesn't make much sense to you. You'd like to know how it applies to your life, um, maybe something you're going through in your life, a situation you find yourself in. What is a biblical perspective? What would God have you do in those circumstances? Maybe even uh, other worldviews and religions as they compare to Christianity and what the Bible teaches. Anything along those lines, uh, as long as it's an honest and sincere question, we certainly appreciate that. As long as you know that we use the Bible to find the answers. We don't want to give you our opinions so much as what the Word says, um, as accurately as we possibly can. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. And boy, do we need a reason for hope in these times crazy times in the world as we, we are seeing birthing pains all kinds of things so we're so glad for the Lord and his love and his word to guide us and that's what we're all about so you can send your questions in through multiple online platforms I'll be going over those in just a moment so you know how to contact us my name is Dave Robson I will be your host today and uh, in those uh, chat rooms etc with you receiving your questions as we go along with us today because it's Tuesday today we have Pastor Bo Willett, <laughs> always distracted by something in front of him until I called his actually, name. Actually, I'm, I'm actually I'm checking out all the news that's out there. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of it. Yeah, there's a ton of it. Like you were saying at the the intro, there's yeah. a lot of things going on. So I was just kind of perusing uh, the Epoch Times and seeing what kind of the latest is yeah. on there yeah. on their feed. That's good. Yeah, That's but good. Well, thank it you. is Tuesday. It is Tuesday, so and you're here. Day. We appreciate you being here. Yeah, I was the assistant pastor here at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship where we're broadcasting from and um, it's a it's a ministry of, of Calvary Christian Fellowship is a reason for hope. That was a weird sentence, but hopefully it made sense. Also yeah, with us, <laughs> Pastor Sean <laughs> Richards as well, of course, our huge over here. How you doing? Good. I uh, managed to get sick, but only on my day off. So no <laughs> one uh, could be the wiser. Wow. Well, that was very limited. Yeah. <laughs> that's Oregano, some strong stuff, clears up the flu like yeah. that. Well, that's good. Well, good. That's right. Get sick on your own time and then come in here and <laughs> answer our plan. <laughs> we get so good at getting sick that <laughs> we actually can pick a day. What is <laughs> We're like, let's see, when am I off? Okay, that's yeah, the day that's I'm right. sick. <laughs> I think between two and four I can be sick and then I'm busy for the rest of the day. Yeah. I'm a victim of circumstance. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> well, as I mentioned, a reason for hope is an hour-long live broadcast. Uh, we're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. Of course, you can join us all around the world uh, through the wonders of the Internet. Um, but it's an outreach, as I mentioned, of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Uh, you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, if you'd like to find more information about our church here. If you're in the Tucson area and you're looking for somewhere to, to worship, somewhere to get in the Word, you are, of course, more than welcome to come and uh, hang out with us there. We're near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. I'll mention as well, um, this Friday night we have a fall festival uh, between, man, what's the time? So five and five and nine, I think is the time. Yeah, more or less. Right now. Yeah, something like that in the evening. A big fall festival, it's gonna be really cool. We have a lot of activities going on. We have um, Adrian Van Bacter, who you know, 
uh, as a, another host on this show. He will be doing his illusions. He's a, a magician and illusionist, just returned from the mission field doing that. But he will be recreating that here for you. So lots of good stuff going on if you want to come along this Friday night at Calvary Christian Fellowship. But calvarychristianfellowship.com. And it's confirmed Pastor Scott will be in the dunk tank. That's right. We have a dunk tank, and Pastor Scott will be in it, as he should be. They rent those things. Filled with acid and uh, bugs <laughs> no <laughs> yes yeah they do the right it's going to be it's going to be huge as uh, huge. a former president might say uh, so certainly come along but if you go to calvarychristianfellowship.com you can check out um all the events there you can see that events page you'll get more information there for you as well but if you go to the watch live tab that will take you out to our live page where we're streaming right now or you can just type in ccftucson.online.church straight into your browser that will take you to that same page ccftucson.online.church or calvarychristianfellowship.com and we are live there now so you'll see the video you can sign in with a username and then send your question in in the chat uh chat function and i'll be right there with you receiving those questions when we are offline you'll see a countdown to our next show you will see a schedule of upcoming events as well so ccftucson.online.church is one way you can view us we're on facebook as well calvary christian fellowship of tucson on facebook or facebook.com slash ccftucson. We are live there. You can send your question through the chat function there as well and interact with us. So we'd appreciate if you would like and share us around. That'd be great. We'd love to reach as many people as we can uh, with this ministry, um, minister to people through the word. Uh, we have a, a, a mobile app as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. So you can watch us on your mobile device. Also on, going too fast here, Roku and Apple TV. Uh, we have a channel, so if you go to your channel store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You can watch us on your big screen. On YouTube, we are live there as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube. A Reason for Hope. It's a great place for archive as well. If you miss something, go to that live tab. Anytime we've been live, it will archive there for you. So if you missed the show or you want to catch up, Pastor Scott's been doing a lot of great uh, updates um, and commentary on what's going on in, in Israel and the Middle East. Um, over the last couple of weeks and so if you want to catch up on those uh, you can do that there or any of the other shows and our services as well here at Calvary Christian Fellowship it's all right there for you and some other content as well so a reason for hope on YouTube don't forget to like and subscribe and if you want to click on the notification bell then you'll get prompted when we are live someone will come to your door make you a cup of tea and see you know that's not true you just get a little <laughs> prompt a little notification on your phone uh pastor scott's on twitter as well i'm sure there's a lot going on on twitter um probably the most immediate way that he posts as things happen in the news i would say on twitter so if you want to follow along with him scott r4h scott letter r number four letter h uh, so yeah, he responds to things as they come out, news uh, news items, things as they pertain to end times and biblical prophecy, that kind of thing, right there on Twitter, Scott Arthur H. Um, Scott Richards on Twitter there. Rumble, we're on the Rumble platform, not live, but we post video content there as well. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A if you're on the Rumble platform. And then questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questions for Hope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to send your question there as well. We have a couple of questions today that came through our email. Um, so you're welcome to use that. And if you listen to us on the radio, you uh, might want to keep that email address in mind as you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. We're not live with you on the radio, Reach Radio, or one of the other radio affiliates. Um, you are kind of a day late there. So questionsforhope at gmail.com. Shoot us an email there, and we'd be glad to get to that on our next show. But the other platforms I mentioned, we are live as can be. Anything can happen, especially when Bo's here. You never know when he's just going to fly off the handle. See, 
see so <laughs> stick around <laughs> but right. once again send your questions in any question any question that you know we're going to find the answer in the bible any honest and sincere question really could be anything something we're going to do our best we're going to do our very best with the lord's yep. help so uh, you know some things going on in the world or something you know in your life or different you know lifestyles anything any bible question anything we can help you with we'd be happy to do that and before we do we'd love to pray huh i wonder if bo you would you're only here once a week so wouldn't you mind praying for us yeah and i was just thinking i had another question too that was asked me today that i could um kind of present i could yeah i could throw it in there and present but it was a very cool question but yeah maybe it'll come to you as we go along uh, it's come to me i'm ready oh okay (laughs) (laughs) well let's pray first sounds good yeah father we thank you so much for today thank you so much that uh we get the opportunity to open up your word and share it and uh, there's nothing better than your word, and your word uh, will stand forever. And so uh, we uh, just thank you for it. We give you praise and and, and ask that uh, this uh, time would be a blessing to uh, all, all those that are hearing. Uh, we pray uh, that your word would go forth in power and that you would use us by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 What, did you want to start with your question? Yeah, so um, I was at uh, um, uh, kind of, this was from a, a hockey player, and he asked about, um, do does everybody go to heaven? That was his question huh? to me. Yeah. And um, so it was, uh, anyway, it was a really good question, and it went into a good talk. Um, yeah. yeah, so before I go into maybe how I answered that I'd love to present it to you guys yeah like how would you guys answer that like um, you know does everybody go to heaven right and you're um, you say came from a hockey hockey player yeah yeah so you're a chaplain I tend, yeah I right you're a chaplain yep. with a, which I'm sure you get all kinds of questions from players who are maybe Christians players that are maybe yeah. other religions and then some that yeah. just just like what is this religion thing yeah, yeah <laughs> like, does everybody go to heaven or yeah, not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is great yeah totally yeah and um so yeah, that was the question though. Was, yeah, do all do all people go to heaven? Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, like you're always so fond of saying, always start with the bare minimum. <laughs> Don't uh, you know? Talk to everyone like they're at the seminary level or they study this stuff for a living. Yeah. The best way I do it is, especially if, say, for instance, the junior high or high school ask, you know, does everyone go to heaven? Well, I'd first clarify dictionary before doctrine. Mm. Uh, What does heaven mean and what does hell mean? So heaven, in the plainest and simplest terms possible, is with Jesus. Hell would be without Jesus, Mm. and I can back that up biblically, but in the most plain terms, being with Jesus is the biblical definition of heaven. The rest is details. Now, to ask, will everyone go to the presence of Jesus, in a sense, yes. Because according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told that we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all answer for our lives in his presence. Whether we stay there or not, whether we remain in his presence and we have that restored relationship with him forever is another question. Will we be in heaven as opposed to to heaven? Because judgment will take place before the presence of God one way or another. Hell, of course, would be the place reserved for those who have voluntarily rejected fellowship with God in this life, and so are basically given what they want, even if it's not what they thought they wanted. Mm, That's good. Mm. I love that. And do you have any thoughts on that too, David? How would you answer that? Um, Well, no. The main... um, 
the thing I most commonly hear is not does everybody go to heaven, but the the view of like good people go to heaven oh. and bad people go to yeah. hell. That's the most common thing I hear. Mm-hmm. To which I think the as Jesus you know taught the Pharisees, well, what is you know what is good? You know what's the standard? Um, you know you haven't maybe haven't murdered someone, but have you? hated someone in your heart well if that's the case and you've murdered them in your heart you know you may not have committed adultery but yeah if you've looked at someone lustfully then you've committed adultery in your heart you know because the, the standard is holiness absolute purity and holiness um so if heaven is a perfect holy place then i don't think we everyone can go there unless something is done to solve the problem of that yeah to make us clean that's right to, yeah to yeah. make us worthy to be there yeah um and yeah you know there's good and bad people there's murderers over here and there's regular people here but when you <laughs> yeah. really get down to it what is what is good and bad and where's the lion and yeah jesus know, jesus yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's good those are great answers you know those are so good and yeah you always i love how sean you're talking about definitions and you're talking about you know having to challenge someone on kind of what is good and and really think through things, you know, because that's how I kind of tend to think of the answers or answering that question is, well, do you really want to hear from me on what I think about it or, you know, and or on, uh, uh, you know, someone else who has a greater authority than me on the subject? Right. And um, and that was really, I think, challenging for him to think about that, like, oh, there's someone who has a, a greater authority on this subject. You know, meaning it's not just for us to kind of go, oh, this is what I think about it. But, you know, is there someone who has more information on this topic that that has backed up his claim to authority on this topic by doing something in history in our world? And if there is someone who fits that bill, then that's the person we need to listen to Mm -hmm. when it comes to do all people go to heaven? I certainly don't want all of us to go to heaven the way we are right now. I would not want to, uh, a heaven that is certainly like this, because um, we tend to, um, this world is filled with war and d- destruction and hate and envy and strife. And um, so we definitely, if uh, we want heaven to be someplace that uh, is uh, different from us, and that means that David, you're right. There's needs something needs to happen to change us, yeah. you know. And so, but anyway, that's how I was answering it with them. Is like, hey, you know, is there someone in history that has claimed to have a greater authority on this subject that we can listen to about the topic? Hmm. And mm. yeah, mm, who is it? <laughs> who is it? But you know, and, and and you know, I let them know about you know, of course, Jesus. But I think sometimes you know, uh, you know, just pointing people back to the uh, uh, the authority of Jesus and some of the the ways Jesus talked about his authority um, on these subjects uh, is the best thing we could do is help point people back to Jesus. Right. Yeah, and uh, the other common thing is to all you know, God's lead. To the same heaven you know some some call him jesus some allah some buddha some yeah. whatever do they lead to the same place i had someone 
very close to being asked me that, but yeah. when you think about... The problem is Buddha didn't believe in a conscious heaven. It was to cease to exist. The problem is <laughs> Allah isn't in the presence of heaven. It's a brothel that is promised to anyone who kills in his name. God of the Bible promises a relationship with him. Yeah. Conscious, impersonal, appeal to pleasure, impersonal, and appeals to insensate nothingness. Yeah. Three different ver- things. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. And when you think 9-11 was, I mean, we've talked about that a lot. Or 7-Eleven um, in a, your neck of the woods, or October yeah. 7th, very these recently. These were acts of worship. These were acts of people guaranteeing their place in heaven by doing these atrocities. So it's like, I don't. I hope it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. Sir, the same God in the same heaven. haven't changed since they were written. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, very good. That's cool that you do that, Bo, that you're yeah. chaplain. It's, yeah, it's a door that opened up years ago. And, and uh, being uh, from a, a half-French-Canadian background, I've, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Very good. Um, well, we have some more questions and questions coming in as we speak. Um, one from uh, CJ. Is it ever okay to tell a lie? And I guess they're talking about a white lie. Yeah. Um, I guess in the hierarchy of ethics, when we talk about this often, people will usually just go the full black and white route and say that any misrepresentation of the truth is a misrepresentation of God's character. Jesus said that the enemy, in the Gospel of John chapter 10, is a liar and the father of it, and you're of your father the devil. I don't lie. They don't receive me because the truth is not in them and so forth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14 says. Yeah. So we misrepresent Jesus' character we always would tell the truth, note that point, then that is by definition a sin. Now, when we talk about categories even of deception, that needs to be understood because when people will open up the Old Testament, for example, and note in, I think it's First Samuel 17, when Samuel is going to anoint David as king, uh, Samuel knew that Saul had gone off his rocker and that he would kill him if he found out he was about to uh, pin the badge on the successor of his kingdom. But God told him, tell him where you're going, not why, not, why, not to who you're going to. Mm. And people will look at that and go, well, that's concealing truth. That's a form of deception. And we can acknowledge there are ways of recognizing that. Well, you left out some important details when talking to that person. Yeah. Isn't that a form of lying? And in some cases, I would grant that. But here's the problem. In the hierarchy of where God's priorities are at, Jesus gave another example where a black and white law was violated by King David, but for some reason God didn't have a problem with it. Why? Well, the situation was, David, like in the situation we're talking about in 1 Samuel as well, uh, he was on the run for his life, and he needed food in order to provide for the people who were joining him, as well as himself. You know, he still ate. Now, when they came to the um, tabernacle at the time, they had the table of showbread, which was only for the priest to eat. And these huge, like, rectangular, like, Safeway but edible loaves of bread was all meant to be a representation of God's fellowship with his people. Don't think too much about that. (laughs) And the idea was that if anyone else were to eat it, that'd be a violation of God's law. It says it's explicitly in Exodus. So when the priest said, yeah, go ahead, bread, 
that would have been a violation of the law. But Jesus calls it up to him and says they weren't doing anything wrong. Why? Mm. Because David and his people were starving to death, and they wouldn't have ac- immediate access to food in a place where it would probably slow them down and get them all killed. So the point was, what's God more interested in? Preservation of life or preservation of relationship? Yeah, and, and you see this in the, in the judges uh, with... Um, or Joshua with yeah. Rahab. Yeah. So, and again, the idea behind that is priorities in a sense. If you're telling white lies for the purpose of making someone emotionally feel better, yes, it's a misrepresentation of the truth, but you're putting, I guess, the relationship, right? Yeah. As the highest priority in this, even if it isn't necessarily reflecting reality. So, your default to nature is love. If you're put in a situation, and this is where wisdom wants us to avoid these things, but they will inevitably come, where you have to say, do I tell the truth or do I get myself and others killed? That's another hierarchy where you have to make a decision. Now, note most people aren't in those situations. When they try to justify white lies, they're saying, well, you know, it's not hurting anybody. That's the wrong sense of priorities. Does it inconvenience me at a greater or higher level? But if you take a step back and note biblical application, yes, it's wrong to lie. Yes, it's wrong to do things that get other people killed. But if you're put in a situation where it's either or, God's highest priority is the preservation of life. Yeah. And, of course, the demonstration of his nature, which is shown in truth. But that's the point. If you're put in a position where it's that kind of lie, then God's not going to hold that against you, even if you note acknowledge and say, God, that wasn't exactly true, but I'm trying to model you here. The the wisdom of this is not putting yourself in situations where you have to make those kinds of choices. Do I get someone killed, or do I tell the truth, the whole (laughs) truth, and nothing but the truth, despite me, God? That's the point. Yeah, Yeah, and this has happened uh, during situations of Hitler's regime and people trying to assassinate Hitler. And, um, you know, uh, to prevent a further atrocity, uh, you know, and so um, you see those situations, um, like kind of even geopolitically, you know, where there's this lie that's taking place. People are trying to conceal Mm -hmm. truth, you know. Um, no, there's or, not soldiers trying to save those hostages right now. Go about your business. Right. Yeah, and, and then there's personal things. Someone break into your house. You <coughs> have a place for your family to go mm. for safety. Right. Uh, but you, you know, you're with the perpetrator, and the perpetrator says, where are your family? Yeah. Um, do you tell? Like, oh, I've got to tell the truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. You know, oh, God's going to be a- against me. Uh, no, God is for the preservation of life. Yeah. And so in ethics, you always want to appeal to the greater. Yeah. You know, you always want to appeal to the, uh, you know, uh, in a sense, the greater of sin, meaning if there's something greater, you know, if there's a greater sin that's to be avoided, right. you know, then you want to avoid it, you know. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and there is a, a as uh, Sean used the word, hierarchy, there, there is this, these levels, you know. Um, Rahab lied to those that were seeking the spies of Israel, uh, but yet you could see her appealing to a greater um, command, right? You know, and that is n- not having these people murdered. Yeah. You know, the, the uh, uh, killed and slaughtered. Yeah. And so she's trying to preserve life, so she lies. Yeah. 
And uh, it's interesting that Rahab is not, it's not mentioned in the Bible uh, about Rahab uh, lying after the narrative, meaning you, hear, you, you read it in the narrative, but at any other time it talks about Rahab, hmm. you don't hear it mentioned that, oh, she lied to the spies, by the way. You know, <laughs> it's just not mentioned, huh. you know. Um, uh, God just commends her for having faith in him yep. to hide them, right. you know. So um, that's the idea in our life is we always want to appeal, you know, to what is the greatest, what is the greater sin, yep. you know, yeah. in this situation. And it seems to come, that comes more under the relationship with God area than kind of a religious law-based, because there's a lot of questions we get on, you know, is it a sin to da-da-da? Right. And you can tell it's coming from a, if I do this, does the trap door open? Yes. You know, am I done? Which is a very religious, very law-based, very, I need to keep the da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. As opposed to the grace where, you know, even on our best day, we're still, you know, we're still fallen and sinners, but we, we live by God's grace where we can have that relationship and weigh those things up and God sees our hearts and motives and all those things. We can do the right thing for the wrong motive. and wrong thing for the right and all those kind of things i think yeah. you know so yeah. when we get into like oh is it you know how about a white lie how about a you know how about we walk with the lord and discern yeah in his spirit that kind of that's the privilege we have but that's a difficult thing for a lot of us uh, i think a lot of us would rather have a law yeah. to look at and just go like oh don't do this don't do that don't do this and i'm good right um and then Jesus, you know, of course, throws the monkey wrench in and says, we have a, let's look at your heart, man. Right. You know, let's check out that heart. And then we go, oh, yeah, the heart. And that's yeah. hard for us to do. Yeah. A lot of times uh, looking at your heart and looking at your motives and looking at why am I upset about something? Mm. Why does this bother me? Why? Then you start kind of honing in on stuff. Yeah. And that's never simple. No. It's, it's uh, you know because it, it d tends to reveal defects. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times that's usually what we're trying to prevent, uh, you know, in our world. Why do we do drugs? Why do we drink? Why do we have a ton of sex? Why do we do the things we do? Why do we get tattoos? Why do we get our nose rings? Why do we do the things? I know when I was growing up, it's because you're trying to, uh, you don't, you're having a hard time you know, dealing with your own stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like sometimes you need a distraction. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, because it's hard to deal with insecurities and, mm. you know, you know, I have I have an interesting background and a lot of hurts, you mm. know, when I was younger. And so, you know, it's hard to grow up around that and, and deal with all the emotions that you're going through. Right. And you don't know how to process it. And, um, and so, you know, you know, uh, and then adults do that too. They just, you know, you don't, you have a hard time dealing with that kind of your fears and your everything like that. And so what do we do? We just, hey, I'll watch series after series of Netflix shows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we get into all kinds, I'll eat a ton of food. You yeah. know, we get into all kinds of things to try to, you know, deal with. Yeah, just medicate. Medicate, yeah. So it's, that's why it's harder to, um, deal with God um, on a relationship basis, yeah. um, you know, because it always will bring up all the sensitivities and vulnerabilities. Yeah. Um, but the great thing is that 
is that God says he's safe and that if you come to him through his son, yeah. you're coming to the safest right. person ever. Right. You know, so even though he's the greatest and most powerful being ever, he's the safest right. being. Yeah. And so And we come having not done any work yet. That's we right. We come as we are. So That's right. <laughs> so it can only get better from there so that's to speak right. that's I mean, right. it's that's not right. like well go give me the decade of that's you know, right i love what titus 3 says that we weren't saved by works of righteousness yeah you know like not 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 even your righteous deeds added anything to your salvation right you know yeah you're right we came just by grace alone yeah and so it's safe yeah so yeah. that's why it's you know better to go uh, to God in a relational way yep. than in a legalistic, right. law-based way. Right, you but, know. But, but challenging. Challenging, say. to say the least. Yes. Yeah, yeah. totally. Well, good. Great question. Uh, question from Melody. What's the biblical perspective on self-harm? Talking about medicating and coping mechanisms. What's the biblical perspective on self-harm? Maybe what is self-harm to start with and what is a biblical perspective? I know there's been there's been <laughs> groups of people that would, what's the word? <laughs> Flagellant. Yeah. 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 Where they would beat, you know, beat themselves. Somehow that was part of their, their worship. Or yeah. I was taken from Greek but culture, but. Yeah. yeah. Self-harm, though, is a, is a, I'll, I'll just say this. It Self-harm has been all throughout the ages, sometimes used in a religious way, um, sense to, in a sense, show uh, uh, penitence, show that you are right. remorseful or, you know, for your sins. Uh, you might see this in an old Viking series on, you know, Amazon Prime or something where some monk is slapping themselves or, you know, like you say, um, kind of whipping themselves. Yeah. Um, and so it has been used in that way. Um, Colossians tells us that this kind of the book of Colossians, when you read it, Paul says this has this kind of idea has a form, this kind of denial and hard treatment of the body has a form, has a look of humility mm. and holiness, kind of, you know, righteousness. But he says it does nothing. It produces, um, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Yeah. It actually, it, it just, is, it's another form of self-indulgence. Mm -hmm. um, and so you might think you're, humbling yourself but really it's an act of pride because mm. um, you're not trusting in the finished work of jesus right. for you you think you somehow can earn this forgiveness of god through your self-inflicting wounds yeah. and so it's really a form of pride mm. and so paul really goes to town on this in the book of colossians and in the book of Philippians, where he gets so mad at those people that would <laughs> circumcise themselves and force other males, uh, male people, to circumcise their bodies mm -hmm. in order to be saved, that right. that's how you get saved is through circumcision, that he goes on to say, I wish <coughs> they would literally just cut everything off. Oh, yeah, go the whole... Yeah. yeah, and it's really radical what he's saying, yeah. <laughs> right? But he's, he's being... I don't know if the word's facetious or just exaggerating, but he's saying, you know, these guys are out to lunch. Yeah. You know, they think they're walking humbly, but they're not. So that's the religious aspect. Right. You know, but I'm going to, um, I, I, as a kid, I mean, I would cut myself um, in the sense of just self-harm. Yeah. So like in junior high, I would do things 
find things and I would just slice my arm, yeah. you know? Um, and I, I think I was just, you know, when I look back on it, I just go, you know, I was just a frustrated young boy. Mm. And, um, and I think that's why I did it. Mm. Um, um, but there's someone on my right who really has a testimony in this. So I'll let you kind of go, go for it. Well, apart from the statements that have already been made in Colossians, I think that's sufficient. But usually when people bring up this topic, oddly enough, the prohibition against it goes where people would use to condemn another practice, which isn't what's being discussed. And like you were talking about earlier with the heart behind it being what's key, the passage I'm referring to in Leviticus 19.28, speaking to the priest, that's what the book of Leviticus says, says uh, not to tattoo yourself or make cuttings in your flesh for the dead. Now, again, speaking to priests, he was talking to them as people who would be models of godly character. And one of the ways that the nations would express grief would be to cut their beards in a certain way, shave their heads, and, of course, leave markings on their bodies. And this would be a way that they would show just how much they loved somebody, the amount of grief that was expressed. We see examples of this in the Gospel of John chapter 11 at Lazarus's funeral, where the degree at which Jesus <laughs> was weeping was a sign of how much he loved him. Mm. And you see it even in the culture today. They have uh, professional whalers, not uh, people who go out and hunt large mammals in the ocean, but people who are just pro trained in their diaphragms to make the most ungodly noises in response to the smallest of circumstances. Mm. It's like the little uh, commission sheet of the guy who says, I'm delaying this on purpose, by the way, uh, $50 to attend your funeral, $100 to cry at your funeral, $500 to threaten to jump in the coffin, $1,000 to actually jump in the coffin. <laughs> so on and on it goes. But uh, when people would cut themselves, again, like Bo said, throughout the ages, there would be a variety of ways this would be expressing both spiritual, emotional, or social concerns. Um, the Huns, for example, would cut themselves on their faces in order to look more terrifying. And the more disfigured that you would look, that would, of course, denote a sense of masculinity, that you were willing mm -hmm. to endure these things. African cultures would mark themselves as a rite of passage and in order to basically keep a kill tally. Uh, Black Panther made a recent uh, homage to this in the film. Uh, Eric Killmonger did a ceremonial marking of himself every time he killed somebody in war. Mm. So on and on this goes, but the heart behind it is what's key. And like Bo said, this is something that I still struggle with to this day. Not because, you know, I'm an angry little boy, not because of, you know, even necessarily a guilt complex. It can sometimes involve that, but the reality is I'm mentally messed up. I think it's entertaining. And when I have to, in light of my perception of things, fall back on Scripture, it ends up being a bonus because I realize in everything in my life, if I don't look at it through the lens of Scripture, I get in really weird directions really quickly. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, and these are the general views, if it's in a spiritual sense, like the flagellants, uh, people who embraced ascetic lifestyles and the belief that the punishment of the body was purification of the soul because of that dichotomy, that assumption that the body is evil, the spirit is what's good. So if your spirit is so repulsed by your flesh that you would even abuse it, the Greeks believed that that was something that showed 
godly character even mm. before their time of embracing Christianity. The problem is the Christians didn't bother to criticize their culture. You see Americans even doing that today with prosperity gospel. It's still false. There are people who do it for social reasons, like we talked about with cultural marks of pride. We can do it for emotional reasons. The emo stereotype isn't that far off. When it comes to people, you know, are just enduring a lot of stress, either pre or post or mid puberty, but also in other things in life, it allows them a distraction. When you yeah. look at and people sometimes even watch horror films for this reason. Note uh, Halloween week at the time of this recording, the adrenaline spike, the frightening nature of what you're looking at, an injury on your body and the implications of it, the sensations that are involved in there, it distracts you. Yeah. from whatever you're dealing with. And there is some, again, big words here, catharsis in that, a little relief from the tension. could be a number of reasons, but there's also just my case where I have to hold on to God's Word with both hands, otherwise I'm going to go crazy. That can be a curse, because you leave me alone for a while, <laughs> and that can get out of hand really quickly. But it can also be a blessing in that it's forced me for a lack of any other options, or at least seeing where the other option leads me to, having to hold on to Jesus with both hands. Mm -hmm. So for those that struggle with this, whether it's for misguided spiritual reasons, whether it's for uh, false cultural assumptions and finding a sense of identity through it, whether it's, you know, struggling mentally and thinking that this is just something that you can do with your spare time, all those things need to be held in light of what we already have revealed to us in Scripture. And I think Levi Lusco made a good observation about this. He's the senior pastor at Fresh Life Church, uh, said that you don't have to cut yourself or make yourself bleed because it's already been done. Jesus went to the cross. He was bruised. He was scourged for our iniquity so that we wouldn't have to. And he means this as much in a spiritual sense as a social one. So uh, to parents out there who get... Uh, the unfortunate news that their kids picked up this nasty habit, there is hope. Uh, mm -hmm. To those who are struggling with this, understand that like any other bad habit, it's not something that's going to separate you from God, but certainly needs to be something you need to bring before Him, just like you would do with pornography, just like you would do with swearing, just like you would do with anything that is not reflecting godly character. And give yourself room to grow, allow yourself to receive repentance as well as maybe healing, but understand as well, turning to pain as a—and this is even not like masochistic uh, tendencies, confusing uh, physical plane for pleasure and stuff, but seeing yourself not in light of how you feel is the key, mm. but seeing yourself in light of the value that God's placed on you, yeah. that these sacrifices, you're to present yourself, and this is the passage we'll finish on, present yourself as a living sacrifice without spot or blemish. A spot would be a birth defect, a blemish would be a physical one. Mm say, you know what, this this isn't mine. <laughs> I, I want to present this to God, and he doesn't like marks and uh, messed up aspects of something that he cleansed and set aside for himself. Uh, there's things on my body that will never heal, but the fact is we belong to the Spirit, and that's what we should be living in light of. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, and I would just uh, say that, you know, in, in my own time in ministering, um, it has truly been unbelievable to see someone who really has this um, battle. Um, I have seen very, very serious people, uh, cutters, mm. um, un, and it's just unbelievable. It, 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 is, it is shocking mm. 
um, to witness. Um, and just, it can be overwhelmingly shocking um, when someone shows you what they've done. Yeah. And if they're very much into this. And um, one year um, I met a, a man, a grown man, and, um, and uh, for the next five years, just ministering to this man and seeing what he did to his body and um, it just wow I was just always so grieved by it it yeah. was it, it is very kind of horror movie-esque you know yeah but the answer to everything is you know God has provided um, all things um, you know his grace within the body of Christ and I would say if you know, the answer is not to isolate for that person. That to, for that person, the answer is within the body of Christ. Mm. You know, I that, committed Proverbs eighteen one to memory. Yeah, don't you know a fool is someone who isolates themselves, yeah. right? And um, you know, because you you know you, you know you have to get involved in the church, get involved in getting with people, uh, get involved in all the mentorship and the growth and all the things that are so important. You know, um, um, you know, because man, when you isolate yourself in anything, you know, alcohol, drugs, you know, sexual stuff, um, that's when we really go bananas. Mm -hmm. You know, as as humans, um, you know, there's a reason why people save up money, fly to other parts of the world to go and go nuts. Mm -hmm. You know, people do that all the time. You know, they save their money, fly overseas to some place, mm -hmm. you know, Amsterdam or something, yeah. and, and they go bananas. Yeah. But they feel like they're, they isolate themselves. They, right. You know, they're in their own little world. Yep. And uh, so that's, that's the answer for anybody you find with this situation, with, with cutting. And, and it can be a very tough thing to witness and yeah. to see. Um, and very grievous, but the answer is always, you know, the same. You know, get them involved in the body, um, understanding the love of God, studying the Word of God, those kind of things. Right. Meeting other men or other women, or you know, those kind of things. Mentorship. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great question, and hope that fell on many ears that need to hear that. Certainly, reach out if you would like more support in that, and and also considering, like Sean said, this isn't. This isn't our body. This isn't really our property to to abuse. And I mean, I know self-harm is in its own category, but there's ways with how we treat our body through food. And I'm speaking for myself, food and yeah. lack, um, exercise or lack thereof it. Mm -hmm. um, I know for myself, when I, eat, when I eat bread and sugar, I get back pain. When I don't, I don't. I mean, it's literally become that clear. Like yeah. I can I can be pain-free if, if I'm not abusing myself with what I eat. And it's so sad, but many of us go down that road to where we're sick and just uh, just a dud because of how we've treated ourselves so you know cutting is a very extreme thing but there's there's those subtle yeah, ways that we can harm ways, ourselves yeah. yeah totally and like you say sean just you know just become a, a really um just ineffe uh, ineffective for the kingdom yeah. you know so um, it's definitely something to, to reflect on in our lives but uh yeah thank you for that question uh, a yeah. question from david here that came in throughout email address if i remember rightly questions for hope at gmail.com uh kind of a two-part question david said i i heard two claims last week i wanted to hear your perspective on especially since i'm not well versed in church history 
Claim one was that the books of Maccabee, uh, Book of Maccabee, was uh, were used in the Bible for 1,300 years before they were removed from the Bible. The person claiming this was trying to prove purgatory, and I know you have tackled that on the show, but I'm curious on the history. Uh, 1300 year Bible reference he made and the second one we can break it up but just to get it in your heads um, claim two was that all the church fathers were Catholic and that's how the church was started early on but corruption came in during the bubonic plague I actually asked my buddy who made this claim uh, if praying to saints came after the bubonic plague and he said that is part of Catholicism that he stumbles over and one of the reasons he hasn't moved over to Catholicism good so yeah yeah, um, just a brief history of the Bible. The word Bible, we'll start with the dictionary, means the books. It's a collection of 66 books, 27 in the New, 39 in the Old, that were all advertised, recognized, and verified to be the same sort of revelation of the God of Israel that was first laid down by the prophet Moses around 1450 B.C. Now, uh, for the majority of Israel's history, about a thousand years, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, we have uh, records of people who put their credentials on the table, who through public declarations of uh, prophecies, public demonstrations of miracles, and the like, all these people would claim things that would be consistent with the God of the Bible's character and that would be included or excluded from the Bible based on those four standards. They would first be accurate. If they made a false claim about the present, the past, or the future, they'd be discarded both uh, mortally and uh, academically. Secondly, they would be um, ac uh, consistent, like I said, in the information that they revealed. If they introduced an aspect of God that was in fundamental conflict with something that he had revealed himself to be before, then, of course, it would also be discarded. They would be accountable for these claims. For when the entire time that the books of the Bible were being written, it was in a time period where the people of Israel who adhered to these laws would be able to recognize and enforce those capital punishments if they tried to add or take away from the Word of God. And then finally, like I said, they would show up, they would show their words were backed up by deed. That's why whenever you see miracles taking place in the Old and New Testaments, it was always in conjunction with when Scripture was being revealed. This is the reason why you take these people's words seriously. God's showing his hand in them. Now, when it comes to the book of the Maccabees, uh, there's two, and they largely center around the festival today we know as Hanukkah, or the Festival of Lights, which to its credit is mentioned in the Gospel of John. The uh, remembering of a time in Jewish history where the Greek Hophelites, uh, descendants of Alexander the Great under a tyrant by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, seriously and horrifically persecuted the Jewish people for the crime of just being Jewish. We know something about what that's like today. And as they were under this level of oppression, Judas Maccabeus and his sons uh, basically staged a year-long guerrilla campaign where they drove out the Greek hopolites. Those were the, you know, the 300 Spartans. These weren't slouches when it came to military power. And they won. Now, the records of this are interesting to say the least, and when uh, the 
temple was being rededicated. Obviously, they couldn't publicly worship or cultivate the things they needed to get the temple back up and running. So what they did was they said, well, we'll just be faithful with what we can do. We have enough material and time to prepare some of the special sacred oil for the tabernacle, enough for one day, and then we'll see where it goes as we're preparing for more. If it goes out, it goes out. But let's just obey God with this and what we have. And instead of lasting one day, it lasted a day for every single one of the stocks on the menorah that celebrates the Festival of Lights. Uh, they would consider that a miracle, and then, of course, uh, that God was blessing them for obeying what they could, and then he filled in the rest. Now, with that said, um, no Hebrew in history has recognized the books of Maccabees as the same level of divine revelation that we'd look at, for example, in the books of Kings. That's including First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. They were all just called Kings at one point. Uh, the books of the Judges, the books of the time of you know the prophets and so forth, the Kethuvim, the Nevi'im, the Torah the law, the prophets, the writings. So how they would structure the Old Testament was based on whether they met up to the standard and the Maccabees, to their credit, it's interesting history, they made accurate claims to a point. There is some historical error in there. Uh, for example, it refers to Nebuchadnezzar as the king of Assyria. Uh, he was the king of Babylon. That would have gotten the authors of Maccabees killed if they had claimed it was scripture. They didn't. First strike. Uh, secondly, the Jews themselves never put this forward. They did collect it and preserve it as a part of their cultural history, uh, much like with, for instance, the time of Haggai and Zechariah. The people who were of great influence post-exile in Babylon were, of course, uh, witness to a lot of interesting things. But it wasn't on par with Scripture because there's a difference between Jewish history and God's interactions with Israel throughout history. So when we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, and that may have been what they were referring to by that 1300 years clip, um, the idea that because Jews cultivated and copied these writings, that means they considered them scripture. No more than, you know, a collection of Marvel comics means it's United States history. Preserving literature was harder back then, so they put a lot of effort into it, but not because it was scripture, it was because it was valued history. There's a difference. So when we as Christians go, well, Old Testament, Jewish customs, what about the church? What about the authority? Well, we'll get into the Apostles' Creed in a second. That's where they get the Catholic term in there. But the real crux of the issue is, why do we regard the Hebrew standard of the books of the Bible at all? Because in the Book of Romans, it is noted, what advantage then has the Jew? Much in every way. For to them it was committed the oracles of God, the ones who were speaking on behalf of God. They were the ones through whom he revealed his word, going not only to the Old Testament, but the New as well that every single book of the New Testament was either written by a Hebrew or gathered their information from a Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So all of that is standing and built on the foundation of how God's revealed himself in history, not just as a Jewish-descended man, but also, and even more significantly, revealed through the pens of Jewish writers. So when we look at the Hebrew understanding of their scriptures, it's fairly consistent all the way, as far as the Old Testament, from the time of the Dead Sea Scrolls all the way to the Masoretic text. That's about 1,200 years of history. And they continued to treat the same 27, and it, the number fluctuated, but only because certain books were compiled on the other apart from other traditional writings like the Wisdom of Solomon, which was different from Proverbs, the, um, the Dragon of Hermas, I think it was, uh, the Shepherd of Hermas, I'm confusing that. There was a dragon of something that was uh, ancient Jewish folklore. 
we would classify all these things as Kabbalic mysticism or the Apocrypha. Now, Apocrypha, as opposed to Apocalypse, to reveal, means to conceal. These are writings that the Jews set aside as, this isn't scripture, mm. but this is significant. And there were even books among the Dead Sea Scrolls that were only significant to the Essenes, the people who were copying those scriptures for themselves, mm. um, their view of the end times and so forth. So not Bible, but books. Seems redundant, but that's the point. Now, when they make the argument and claim that, oh, well, you know, these books were always in the Bible, past until they were taken out by the people who had authority over the Bible, the Roman Catholic Church, 500 years before the time of Protestants, that doesn't, that doesn't fly, that doesn't make sense. The Council of Trent in the 1500s tried to canonize, to mean they measured up to the same standard of Scripture, certain books in order to justify false doctrines like purgatory, indulgences, and so forth, Church history in a nutshell, there's more to this, but the idea was that. Uh, in reaction to the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, the medieval period after the bubonic plague, they, of course, were trying to cover up some alterations and traditions they made to Scripture by introducing more Scripture, not that were recognized by the Hebrews, that were tried to be co-opted by the Romans. Now, with that then said, why is it that people would claim, well, all the early Church Fathers were Catholic? Well, the word Catholic just means universal. And in the Apostles' Creed, it affirms the belief in the Catholic Church. Now, that can mean more than one thing. Today, it means that you affirm and denote all of the traditions and the uh, teachings, regardless of whether they're scripturally verified or not, of the Roman Catholic Church as codified by the Bishop of Rome, the Vicar of Christ, and the Pontifex Maximus, the one who represents Christ on this earth is mm -hmm. what that means, the one who can speak infallibly if he speaks ex cathedra, that Catholic includes all of that subtext, mm -hmm. right? No, it just meant that the universal affirmations of what the Apostles' Creed was denoting makes you a part of the Church, and the Church, the Ecclesia, is a gathering of like-minded people, specifically about their belief of who Jesus was and how he proved it. The rest is semantics. So when false doctrines started to be cultivated, when people like the flagellants eventually, but mostly the Gnostics, the Judaizers, and others, were challenging claims of Scripture, they affirmed, no, the ones who are part of the universal church, that regardless of where we find ourselves in national borders or empires, we all have this universal alignment with Christ. We're part of his kingdom. That's what that was communicating. And when people say, well, these guys called themselves Catholic, that didn't mean what it means today. And I think even the most staunch Roman Catholic would at least acknowledge that when these traditions were developing, it wasn't all at the foundation of Christianity, but as these things were developed, it was handed down by people they considered authoritative. Our authority is Scripture, and that's where the line is. Mm. Now, when uh, things like praying to saints and all that stuff gets in, we can talk about that later for the sake of time. The history of the Bible is a lot more straightforward than it's made out to be. Dan, uh, what was his name? Um, the author of the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, was Brown. it? Brown. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he, of course, popularized the reference to the Council of Nicaea as when the church authorities decided all at once what was in and what was outside of the Bible, arbitrarily by shaking it on a desk and letting the books that stayed on it among thousands to just be what they recognized. Mm -hmm. uh, totally nonsensical. It was 
not only something that was recognized at the Council of Nicaea, but that was something that they they presented as a given. They Mm. argued from these books at the Council of Nicaea to defend the actual topic, which was whether Jesus was God Mm. and man, or if the cultural Greek assumption of spirit and body being two entirely separate things, therefore Jesus couldn't have been a man because man is evil. Was he just a spirit? Was he eternally created as God? Or was he a mortal human being? Arius, of course, argued what Jehovah's Witnesses still do today. The rest of the church resoundly defeated him, and Constantine, ironically enough, tried to take the side of Arius. So here's the point. When we are discussing these things with people and they'll make historical claims, the one who makes the claim supplies the proof. I can make the claim that the Bible, and this would be false, has never been changed, it's never been set into question. No, when people were compiling these books, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have internet, they couldn't coordinate with each other and to verify. So these are the 27 books that you have in your New Testament, these are the 39 in your old. Well, the 39 in the old were pretty consistent throughout the ages. There was one or two questions about certain chapters in Daniel, but the main focus all centers around the idea that in the New Testament, the transmission was so wide and so, I guess, prolific is the right word to put it, that as they were making these copies that they were reading, they were considering as literally something worth giving their lives for, the information in these sort of things. And as they were coming to these common grounds, God also had the capacity to tell them, as I'm reading this, something doesn't seem right. That's why the Gnostic Gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas and Judas and the Infancy Gospels and so forth, were all thrown out of hand because you read them and you feel like you, you know, at a uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers concert on acid, right? (laughs) This is weird. So that's the point. When it comes to the history of the Bible, it's a lot more straightforward than it's made out to be. But if they make an argument, make sure you hold them to what they say. Don't let them trap you in a corner like Christopher Hitchens and say, no, I made the claim about you. Now you defend yourself based on this false version of you. It's a lot more straightforward than that. Mm. Thank you, Sean. Well, with that, we are out of time. Uh, we talked about uh, just about Catholicism and uh, scriptures. We talked about a biblical perspective on self-harm. We talked about if it's okay to tell a lie. We talked about who goes to heaven. Is it everybody or is it not? We had a great show today. Yeah, fun. If you want to go and uh, listen again or recap or if you joined us late, we'll see you back same time, same place tomorrow. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.